Welcome back to Answering Religious Error for our Wednesday live Bible Q&A. We come to you every Wednesday at noon Eastern time. A few folks are joining us now, so we'll make a few announcements while uh, we get a little bit of a crowd in the in the background. Uh, we're thankful that you have submitted questions that we can answer. And of course, they need to be Bible based. Uh, we only uh, refer to God's word for our answers. And if you have questions throughout the week, just send those on over to questions at answeringreligiousera.com. You might be watching us through a Facebook page or YouTube channel, and you are, of course, welcome to send us a message live on the program today. Make sure it's through the Answering Religious Error Facebook page or YouTube channel. If you're watching a shared page, um, we won't be able to see those comments. So, But we do appreciate people sharing and uh, tagging and uh, sending it out to other people so they can be a part of this study as well. We have some something we call meme time, which we'll talk about in just a little while. But if you see a meme that's floating around, it's one of those ways of people making a quick message to make a point. And uh, uh, there are a lot of anti-religious, anti-Bible, atheist-type messages out there. And if you find something that uh, you, you would consider disturbing and needs to be addressed, send that to us at questions at answerreligiousera.com. Well, let's talk about some other things we've got going on throughout the week as well. Uh, Tuesdays, we offer the live Bible study. It's typically a group study, but um, we, for the month of November and December, have been uh, just doing individual studies. I am currently going through a study of the Holy Spirit, so I'll be uh, using the time next Tuesday at noon Eastern time uh, to continue that discussion. So if you'd like to hear part two, go back and watch part one. It's on our Facebook and YouTube channel. And uh, if you have any questions, again, send those to us. But in January, we're going to begin a group study uh, of our panel of men on Ephesians. So let's go ahead and start reading through Ephesians. It's a, you know six chapters, but we're going to stretch it out to about a 12, 13 lesson study. Brother Mark Dunnigan is putting the material together for that. So we're looking forward to beginning the new year with Ephesians beginning January 2024. We'll talk more about that. As time goes on as well. Speaking of Mark Dunnigan, he hosts the Daily Answer podcast. He's up to episode, I think tomorrow's going to be 333. So that's an easy way to remember. Uh, excellent episode this morning, about 12 minutes long. Uh, you may go for anywhere from 12 to 20 minutes. Uh, you can start your day as early as 5 a.m. Monday through Friday with the Daily Answer podcast. If you're a podcast listener, you know what we're talking about. If you don't listen to podcasts, send us a message. We'll give you instructions as to how to access those things. And uh, you can take that message with you anytime, anywhere throughout the day and be encouraged uh, with the Daily Answer podcast. want to remember, too, that Bob has a program for the Bob Myhan. He's with us today. He hosts Bob Bible Basics on Monday at 8, again, YouTube and Facebook. Uh, I believe he's beginning a study next week on the Messianic Prophecies. So you'll want to learn about that, a very key point uh, in people becoming Christians, especially in the first century. Then on Thursdays, there's the Older Women Likewise program, a show for women, by women. You'll be encouraged by their lessons of faith as well. So uh, enjoy all these programs. There's almost something every week to do and to listen to. We have other programs as uh, uh, we have Brother Brian Haynes on with us today. And Bob Myhan has joined uh, a group called uh, Truth Factor Live on Facebook and YouTube. You can find them Thursdays at noon Eastern time. So reach out to us. We know all kinds of preachers and people all over the world. We'd be happy to get you in touch with people that you can study with in person and most importantly, worship God and come to a better understanding of his will. 
So glad to have a full house today. We have Bob Myhan with us, Brian Haynes, as I have been mentioning, uh, Terry Benton's with us, Mark Gibson and Mark Dunnigan. Good morning, gentlemen. It's great to be with you once again for our live Bible Q&A. Before we get into our studies today, well, good morning. Good morning. Uh, morning for us, uh, for, for I think uh, of all of us, but it might be morning, noon, afternoon for some people around the world. We have visitors from all over the place and just to, uh, oh, you know, I don't normally do this, but just to kind of uh, uh, let people know, we've got folks over in New Mexico. Uh, let's see. We have we already have a few questions, so we'll have to get to some of those as the show goes on. Um, and uh, so anyway, we have a lot of uh, folks from all over the place. So thank you for joining us here for the live Bible Q&A. Now, uh, as I've noticed, we've already got a bunch of questions in the chat. So if we don't get to some of those today, we're going to add it to our list. We've got a little bit of a backlog here. Uh, so don't think that we're ignoring the question or uh, putting it off. We'll address some of them interchangeably throughout the program. So stick with us. Uh, we're looking forward to discussing your questions. If you bombard us with too many at once, though, we might not be able to get to everything. So let's uh, let's uh, uh, take them as they come. All right. Let's turn our attention to giving uh, praise to God through prayer. And um, Brian Haynes, would you mind leading us in that prayer? And then we'll get into our program this morning. I'd be grateful to do it. Let's uh, let's pray. Most holy God and Father in heaven, we give thanks to you for the glory that is revealed through your word <clears throat> and the greatness that you have given to us, Father, that we might know you and know this uh, marvelous salvation that your son has purchased for us. And Father, we pray that as we walk through your word together this morning, that uh, every one of us, uh, listener and participant alike, Father, that we might all have a humble reverence towards your word, to let you speak to us, Father, through your word, to listen to what you have to say, and make application in our life. We're grateful for those who ask questions, Father, knowing uh, knowing that it is by, by asking and seeking that we find truth. We thank you for this time. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> And as always, we like to start our uh, uh, program uh, with a segment we call Meantime. Today is uh, and uh, unfortunately, I've seen not just this meme, but a lot of discussion surrounding prayer. In recent years, people have kind of uh, risen up against prayer, to say that prayer is not enough, your thoughts and prayers, uh, you need to do more than that. We're not a people that advocate, you know, just sitting back and doing nothing. Uh, but unfortunately, a lot of people uh, do not take into account the necessity of prayer, going to God in prayer, and what we like to call the power and privilege of prayer. So uh, this meme represents, and I, the first time I saw it, I didn't really catch who it was. Uh, it's a representation of, of George Bush, you know, back in the days, probably when he was dealing with a lot in this country. We just had you know, 9-11 and uh, the things going on, but I uh, believe that he was a prayerful man. I'm not giving an account of his uh, you know, Christianity or anything like that. I'm just saying that uh, people look at leaders of the world who pray um, and they'll make comments like this. It's how to do nothing and still think you're helping. And of course, that's a very atheist way of looking at things. Uh, what would you say, brethren, to uh, defend prayer. I'd say the person doesn't know God who thinks that God is not involved, 
I mean, Jesus said that every uh, sparrow that falls to the ground, your father takes notice of that. Uh, and of his disciples, he says, every hair of your head has been numbered. Uh, so that God is intimately familiar and uh, he wants us to pray. Who would know better than Jesus how, how efficient and how powerful a prayer might be? So I would look at this person that uh, says you're doing that prayer is how to do nothing and still think you're helping. Uh, he doesn't know God and he doesn't know prayer. Prayer to God is very, very powerful. Paul said to the Ephesians that he's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, even if you think. So this person doesn't think much of prayer, but Paul knew more about prayer than I would venture to say this guy ever knew. Jesus knew more about prayer than this person knows. So if Paul would say, uh, he is able to do uh, exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, uh, then I trust Paul knows something that this meme writer did not know. And James says the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. That is, it does something. We're looking at uh, a world that's mixed with the influences of good and evil. And in Ephesians chapter six, verse 12 says that we are wrestling against principalities and powers and the rulers of the darkness of this age. We, we're involved in a struggle and uh, God, God says prayer, prayer is very, very important. And it's not, a matter of doing nothing and thinking you're helping because God is all powerful and God knows and God cares. And he's demonstrated that in his son, Jesus Christ. So I would, I would uh, hope that this person learns about God and learns about the power of prayer because it's obvious he thinks it does nothing and he's wrong. Those are my thoughts. Who else would like to comment now, on that? Uh, I, I think one of the things that's uh, important to understand here is that if you if you don't believe in God, then nothing that you do, even if even if you were uh, you know doing things that were visible and obvious, they're meaningless. But of course, we could go on to say that if you don't believe in God, then anything you do is meaningless. There's no reason or value to any action or purpose in life. Nothing has reason or meaning. Um, if there's not uh, an order to the universe and a meaning behind life, then there's nothing that you're doing that is actually of benefit to anyone. We're all going to die. Uh, there's nothing you're going to do that's going to stop that. We're all going to suffer. There's nothing you can do to stop that. So ironically, uh, the person who prepares this meme doesn't believe in God and you know is trying to make a joke of us for that. But truthfully, if, without believing in God, what can you do? that has any value. Um, if you could cure cancer tomorrow, people are still going to die. You know, people are still going to suffer. You've accomplished nothing. 
So ironically, the meme maker opens himself up to a position of complete uh, uh, of complete self-destruction uh, from this idea. Brian Haynes, that was an excellent observation. That is, it, the meme actually contradicts itself because you're right. If there is no God, no absolute truth, no right and wrong, and if everything is just random, there is no plan. That means the meme's pointless as well. The me, uh, you know, and, and not only that, but for the person who does not believe in God, oh, I don't believe in God. It's I'm not praying to anybody. Okay, so what do you do? Uh, let's hear your answer. Let's hear your solution. Uh, what do you do to handle the trials and challenges of life? Because obviously, there's a lot more life than there is of you. So what is your plan? And if you don't have a plan, then I don't know. It, it's interesting. Terry, I think, made a great point. Here's a person claiming to know more about the spiritual realm and prayer than Jesus Christ. Man, that's arrogant. Um, that's almost claiming to be God yourself. I mean, you think about this, to say me, prayer does nothing. You would have to almost know everything to be able to make a statement like that. Like, so you've observed everyone's prayers and you've observed the outcome of everyone's life. And you have determined because you know all that, that prayer never accomplishes anything. Really, that's basically a claim to being God, to being omniscient. Interesting to me, Jesus was asked about prayer, how to pray, and he did not say, ah, don't do that. That doesn't work. He actually went on to give an outline in the book of Matthew chapter 6. He also then went further about, you know, how to pray, and, and he talked about asking and seeking and knocking and he also made a number of, he made a parable in the book of Luke chapter 18 about the necessity of praying always and not giving up and not fainting in that and not abandoning prayer. Uh, Chris, it's just very interesting that when it comes to atheism, atheism cannot come up with a solution for man's problems. Atheism cannot come up with an ethic to live by. Atheism cannot come up with a hope for the human race. And atheism cannot keep a civilization from going off the deep end and doing horrific things. Look at the cultures, civilizations, present and past, that sought to build a foundation based on no God, no absolute truth. Soviet Union, Communist China, North Korea, etc., Cuba, good places to live? Are those places where human life is respected? Do those countries have a great record of human rights? Absolutely not. Those are the countries that have killed millions of their own people. Those are my thoughts. You know, I kind of look at this meme as an inside joke among atheists. Uh, atheists are just ridiculing us. They're, it's not written to us because anyone who is a Christian and, and prays uh, knows that prayer accomplishes things. Prayer does indeed help. But this meme is an example of how to do something without helping anyone. 
And, and so he, he's not helping anyone. He's just giving his fellow atheists a good laugh. Uh, and they think it is our at our expense, but it's not. It's at their expense that they are laughing at those who believe in prayer. Uh, I've been a, a Christian since 1974. I'm, I, I know prayer works. And uh, I pray regularly because God always give me what I'm asking for in prayer. No, he does not. But that does not mean he doesn't hear my prayer. It does not mean that he does not respect my prayer. Uh, it does not mean that he does not is not concerned with uh, with my needs. But God always answers prayer. Sometimes he answers yes. Sometimes he answers no. And sometimes he says, well, just be patient. And uh, and and I know, you know, there have been times when I wondered, is God going to answer my prayer? And then he would answer my prayer. But he wants us to develop patience. We need to be willing to wait on God because time means nothing to God. And so we need the, the time lapse sometimes between the request that we make of God in prayer and the uh, the positive response that, that we are praying for, that God gives in due time. And Jesus wanted us to, to not ever stop praying. He wanted us to pray uh, persistently and consistently. And uh, we all know that prayer helps. And uh, until and unless a man becomes a believer in God, a believer in Jesus Christ, and actually prays, in faith, uh, with no doubting, uh, when, when, he, when he does that, then he will come to believe in the power of prayer, but not until then. I might add that this strikes me as the same attitude we heard a while back after uh, some mass shootings where people said, stop with your useless thoughts and prayers. We don't want that. We want action. You know, thoughts and prayers do not stop gun violence and so forth they went on with that but the whole point was with the thoughts and prayers is just a useless pointless thing that people say just to comfort but it's empty and so that was the same attitude that we see in this meme problem is man cannot solve evil without the help of god that's being without god is what's useless mark great points it's interesting when we did have prayer in schools that we didn't have mass shootings <laughs> you know then when we had a more moral foundation being taught we did not have that <clears throat> yeah and i might jump in with just some you know I, I guess just some negative comments here the fact that you know these people that claim you know prayer does nothing well i'm, I'm going to suggest that neither do you I don't know exactly what these people think the answer to their problems in life is, but here are people that do not have the Lord. So they're thinking ungodly first off, and that puts a limitation on your prayer. And, uh, you know, it's going to be one of those cases where, well, did you try it? You know, it's almost like people use God as the genie in the, the magic lamp. You know, rub it, he comes out, he gives you your three wishes. Well, that's not how it works. And uh, you're sitting here criticizing God uh, for something that he does for his people, a privilege uh, that he does for his people. And I, I just like to quote a couple things. You know, there are times that God ignores prayer. 
let me show you some of the circumstances. He one uh, Proverbs 21, 13, one who shuts his ear to the outcry of the poor will also call out himself and he will not be answered. Uh, we believe that prayer. Well, I like to look at like taking medicine. You can read the instructions on the bottle all day long, but unless you take the medicine inside, that medicine's going to do you no good. It's the same way with studying God's word. It's the same way with reaching out to God and communicating with him. Uh, that communication that we have with God uh, needs to be acted upon. It's not just sitting back and having meditation sessions. We are to be active members of the Lord's body. And if we shut our ear to the outcry of what's going on around us, then yeah, what good is our prayer going to do if we're not willing to? And I'm not saying that God needs help. That's not what I'm talking about here. But I'm also not asking God for a miracle that he does everything just because I ask of him. And so the perception that people have here is way off. And if this is the way that people are practicing prayer, then Christians might be way off too. So there can be lessons on both sides. But over and over again, uh, James 1 and verse 7, that person ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord if he doubts in his prayers. James 4 and verse 6, he gives greater grace. God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And there are many others, Isaiah 1, 15, I will hide my eyes from you, even though you offer many prayers. First uh, Peter three and verse seven. If a husband doesn't treat his wife right, you know what happens? It hinders his prayers with God. And I find it very interesting that how we treat our fellow man is also in relation as to how we treat God and whether God will hear us. And you can just you know write these things down. I won't read them all. First Peter three twelve, James four three, Psalm sixty six eighteen, um, Micah three. Two verses five, when they cry out to the Lord, he will not answer them. Instead, he will hide his face because they have practiced evil deeds. So there's a reason sometimes maybe your prayers aren't being answered the way you want them to. But we also need to pray reasonably. We also need to understand that uh, it isn't about controlling the weather. It isn't about controlling the physical circumstances. Um, we had a comment here by uh, one of our listeners, and uh, I, I understand and I appreciate the sentiment he says, prayer changes us, not our circumstances. And I believe prayer can change our circumstances to an extent. But I do agree with the fact that we're the ones that need to change. It's about our attitude and how we uh, you know, pray to God and the humility and the thankfulness by which we go to him in prayer. So those are just some of the thoughts uh, that I appreciate everybody sharing today. Any other thoughts before we go on with our regular questions today? All right. Okay, uh, do, do, do. let's go back to our questions, and uh, I'm going to bring us back up on screen, and uh, we've been sitting on this one for a few weeks. Uh, hi, in a world full of chaos, crime, and hatred, what advice would you give Christians and people in general? Uh, I'm just going to say prayer. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was thinking. Well, we just, Sorry, Bob. Just, just pray about it. Uh, and yeah, yeah but never mind that doesn't work, right? So uh, I guess we're all sunk. <laughs> Back yeah. to you, Bob. Well, that's 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 the plight of the atheist. There's nothing we can do about anything because there's no one outside the human race to help us. Uh, there's no one uh, powerful enough uh, to do anything about it. And so, uh, yes, if you believe that, then prayer is certainly useless. But God is in charge and he will answer us though. He may uh, suffer us uh, greatly. He may uh, bide his time again to help us 
to develop patience. James chapter one and verse two. Count of all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing that the testing of your faith develops patience. And so God wants us to be patient, but we have to learn to be patient. Uh, and we teach our kids how to be patient, or we should be teaching our kids how to be patient by not satisfying their wants immediately, not even satisfying their needs immediately, but certainly satisfying, satisfying, satisfying the, the needs uh, quickly enough that they will not suffer unduly. You know, go ahead, Mark. Carrie, you go ahead. Let me collect some more of my thoughts. Okay. Well, I was thinking, you know, what we've always needed in a world full of chaos and crime and hatred, same thing that mankind has always needed. From the first century, Jesus says, come to me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. You're laden with the chaos, crime, hatred that's going on. Come to me all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke, learn from me. And for my burden is easy. My burden is light, he says. So make things better for yourself by yoking yourself to Jesus. And Jesus says, if you'll continue in my word, then you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. He's not saying it'll set you free only if there's no chaos and crime and hatred in the world, it'll set you free in spite of all of those things. And then you have Paul writing from Roman prison. He writes the book of Philippians and he encourages the brethren rejoice in the Lord always. So what can you do? Well, I can attach my heart strings and my learning from Jesus Christ. I can, I can learn from him. And Paul says, if I do that, then I'm going to magnify Christ in my body, whether I live or whether I die. So uh, that's a pretty good, that's a pretty good recipe for dealing with a difficult world around you. And then Paul also in the same book said, I have learned to be content in whatever state I'm in, whether with much or with, whether with little. How'd you learn that, Paul? Well, I think you, he learned it through yoking him, his own heart, his own life to Jesus Christ and learning from Jesus. And that's why he would say in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, he says, all these terrible things have happened to me, but I didn't let it destroy me. I didn't let it crush me. Why, Paul? Because I was always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus. And that helped him to be revived and renewed day by day. Just continue your heartstrings attached to Jesus. Keep learning from him. Keep studying. Keep listening to him. And through whatever there is in a world full of chaos and a world full of crime, this is your place of refuge. This is your place where your mind can be at peace where well, you can find a measure of peace and contentment in the, that kind of world. So uh, yoking to Christ is crucial because it helps give you a light inside yourself, light in a dark world. And uh, Peter would say, 
Um, it, you do well to heed the prophetic word as, as uh, the morning star rises in your heart. You, you begin to see light when others people can only see darkness. And that's crucial. And that's, that's what I would encourage. Good thoughts, Terry. You know, I think, Chris, on a question like this, people assume that somehow our time is different or our time is worse. But I, I think, Chris, if you go back through history, you find that our time is not necessarily worse. In the book of John, 1 John 5, 19, we know that we are of God and that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. I mean, if you study history, if you study the 20th century, you think of the First World War, which is horrific, and the Second World War, which is horrific as well. Those were not evil times. And also, well, those were evil times. Those were hard times in the Great Depression. But before that, um, the days of Noah, how about the what the Israelites went through in Egyptian bondage for centuries? The chaotic time of the Book of Judges, uh, the chaos during the divided kingdom, particularly up north. How, how about Babylonian captivity? And how about between the Testaments? I mean, you had world empires come and go between that 400 years between Malachi and Matthew. The first century world was not a kind world. And also what the early Christians faced was persecution and hardship and wars and famines and rumors of wars, et cetera. And so I think, it, I think we need to be careful about thinking like, man, we live in a time that's never existed before, so what do we got? Well, we had the same thing that the early Christians had. Uh, a couple of things here, Chris, what I would say to Christians, you're needed. Man, you're really needed. You need to shine your light and you need to try to save as many people as possible. You know, one historian said, really, the only thing that can prevent, the only thing that can keep the darkness at bay is Christianity. That is it. Se secular thinking, atheism, humanism, whatever, none of that can keep the darkness at bay. Only Christianity, God and his truth, can keep the darkness at bay. Only righteousness exalts a nation. Um, to the world in general, our technology cannot save us. And, and neither can our progressive thinking or whatever save us. You know, someone's noted, Chris, that Nazi, Nazi Germany, what Hitler came to power in a country that was the most, probably the most civilized country of the time. They had more universities and areas of higher learning than other places. That's where people went abroad to study. They were more progressive in their thinking. In fact, when Hitler came to power, Germany had more Germans that married Jews, intermarriages like that, than other nations around them. And they had technology, but someone said what happened is that they trusted in that technology and they become disconnected from an ethical foundation. They, they became disconnected from God and his truth. And, and that happened in an incredibly advanced, civilized, smart, intelligent country. That can happen to any culture, any, any country. And I would tell to just the people out there, you're going to need God because without God, you're going to fall apart. Not only that, not only that, but without God, you're going to be easily deceived. Uh, not only by the people out there, but you're going to be deceived by the wrong voices within yourself. Uh, you need God to keep your head on straight. 
And you need God to be able to put the old man to death because that old man's going to lead you down the road to deception and destruction. I think of what Paul said in Ephesians 4 about verse 22, 23. The reason the old man needs to be put away is because he's growing old and he's being corrupted by lust, deceitful lust. And so, hey, you were born for such a time as this. Uh, to the Christians out there, don't resent this time that, oh man, you know, no, you were born for this time. This is a chance to shine your light. Those are my thoughts, Chris. Yeah, we need to remember that we are supposed to reflect the light of Jesus Christ in our lives and that when they see our good works, they glorify God in heaven. And, um, couple things by our listeners here uh, there is a saying whatever you shine your light on grows there's always good and bad in the world focus on the good it doesn't negate the bad things but it changes your perspective and your heart and of course uh, God's sufficient grace was given precisely for times such as this so good comments appreciate those appreciate also others that are listening I meant to mention a few others at the beginning of our program we have folks from India uh, this brother is watching uh, weekly, always with us. Thank you for watching. Of course, we have uh, David. And as I understand it, David, you're over uh, we, uh, in England, I believe, uh, somewhere around there. And, and uh, uh, Becky, who watches always uh, on the East Coast, I believe. So, again, thank everyone for joining us, no matter where you are. And thank you for those good comments. Any other comments on this question before we continue, brother? I just want to put a scripture to it. What everybody said is just wonderful. They're talking about the light being a light and so forth. I'm going to go back to Philippians where Terry was for a couple ones. And here's Paul's, here's Paul's advice in Philippians 2, verse 14. Do all things without murmuring and disputing. First of all, don't fuss and complain about it. That changes nothing. That you may become harmless, uh, blameless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Notice that we're among them. We can't leave them. So what do we do? We do what has been mentioned. We shine our light. They had a crooked and perverse generation then. Mark mentioned all through history there's been that. What are we to do? Shine your light. Make the world around you better. And only God can help you do that. All right. Excellent, excellent thoughts. All right. Um, let's address one of our live questions that we were given uh, really at the outset of our program today. I have a lot of questions to sort through here, so pardon me while I take a, just a moment. This one gets uh, into matters of benevolence. Um, churches are always kind of put on the spot as to you know what they should do, what they shouldn't do, what's appropriate with the Lord's money. Can the church pay part of the funeral expense for a faithful member of the church who has no burial insurance? Would this be a work of benevolence? All right. Uh, of course, uh, what are some of your thoughts, brethren? I think this is a great question, and I don't think I have a great answer for it. Uh, so I'm going to just throw a couple of thoughts out there to consider. First of all, we always ask the question about authority. Do we have the authority from God to use funds that we collected for his work to do this? And of course, his work is the work of the church or, you know, taking care of the saints in such a way 
Now, we see lots of examples of benevolence for saints in the scriptures where they're provided enough to have food, to have places to live. We see that in Acts chapter 2, uh, 4, <clears throat> in various different ways. We actually don't ever see an example, though, of a funeral expense being covered in that sense. We, we get some funeral ideas, like in Acts chapter 6, Ananias and Sapphira carried off, Acts chapter uh, Acts chapter 8, uh, Stephen is, is carried off and, and buried, but there's no indication that that is something that is uh, uh, that the church had any part in or any any place of. So I would typically say I don't see an authority for it, but I also would say that really we're not talking about authority as much as we're talking about expediency or or the subset of authority of expediency to say whether or not that that's an expedient thing. And so perhaps there's a cultural imperative that that maybe we don't consider in some circumstances that might change that. Um, and I would always say that this might be a question that has to be answered more by a local congregation than by a panel of preachers. Uh, so uh, I might turn it back to you like that. So I don't have a great answer. I don't see an authority in scripture that would allow that, but maybe there's some expediency that I'm not considering that might have some place in that. Well, I think you're right in the fact that we have to be careful with, uh, you know, what authority do we have and what precedent do we set uh, when we start, you know, paying the bills, you might say, of very in various situations. Each situation needs to be uh, looked at individually. But I, I'm just going to throw this out there because it's what I've experienced all my life. The brethren have always come together to help somebody in need. It's not always about going, you know, dipping into the church treasury, as we as we call it. Um, you know, we've had brethren that, you know, could have had every right at first to, uh, be supported by the church in some form or fashion. Uh, we had a lady that some things were stolen from her and immediately the brethren just started handing cash. Uh, we helped one another. And I think in that you really see the epitome of Acts chapter two in its working. That's what I've always seen in my life. That's how I think it needs to be done. And, uh, you know, take your, you know, concerns and, and needs uh, to the brethren and uh, let the brethren discuss how can we handle this. And in any case, um, they'll be able to come together and take care of the needs of a, of a faithful brother. And I think that's the uh, first and foremost way you want to handle it. And Chris, let me kind of clarify. I think what you were saying uh, is that Chris is describing the work of individual Christians as yes. opposed to the work of the church. And so it's kind of important. Uh, sometimes that's uh, one that if you're not you know, if that's not the way you think, it's kind of a surprise yeah. to you. But Chris is describing the idea. And Chris, that's a great answer, by the way. Chris is describing the idea that individual Christians are uh, helping out. And yeah. uh, which is certainly we're authorized, uh, you know, uh, uh, for one another to do all sorts of things. You know, where it's it's very yeah. different than that very limited authority the church has. I tell you, it, it makes me cry every time when I see brethren pulled together in, in times uh, of difficulty. You see it in communities. I mean, even the world understands that particular concept. We had a tornado in our area. Well, people are pulling together, helping, giving of what they have. And uh, if you're one of those people that say, well, I pay my taxes. They need to do this. They need to do that and sit back and do nothing. You know, those are those prayerful people that don't do anything. <laughs> you know, the same in the church. If you're looking at a situation saying, well, I give every week, you know, why do I need to? And it's like the uh, wrong attitude. That's not the way Christians behave. And uh, we help one another. So. Any other thoughts then before we continue on? Yeah, I would say okay. that uh, the family needs to take care of family uh, matters. Uh, first priority, you know, First Timothy chapter 5 mentions that if you've got widows and that kind of thing, 
that your family members need to take care of that. Uh, that's the general rule is family takes care of family first uh, as far as financial burdens are concerned. And then he talks about, uh, yeah, there are circumstances where the church can step in. Is this a person that can't, the family can't take care of it? And is this a, a, a situation where, the, where a person is outside of that? That is that outside of the realm of family being able to, to handle that. Um, so there, are, th those are some of the considerations. And also, you would uh, you would look at um, you know whether this is a one-time event where it's relieving the burden of uh, of needy saints. Then yes, there are precedents for relieving needy saints, but. Uh, we should look for the family units and the members of the family to, to step up first before the church is brought into consideration uh, on those, those kind of things. Those are my thoughts. Yeah, absolutely. I didn't mean to leave that out either. Uh, and just, you know, my comments about dealing with the church. Yeah. The, the first, you know, line there is to go to the family and you may be dealing with a family that's not, you know, part of the brotherhood. Um, but I will say this, uh, we always try to find before we, you know, lean upon what the Lord provides, you know, in, in you know, in his kingdom, uh, you know, we, we try to find other ways. In other words, there are programs out there that will help people. There are, um, you know, there are funeral homes you can work with. Uh, I was involved in a funeral recently where the funeral home pretty much took care of this family who was in need. Uh, they lost a child and uh, everyone's heart went out to it and basically all their funeral needs were, were covered. Um, so, you know, there are many ways to find an answer. Um, and, uh, and of course, individually, uh, out of the goodness of our hearts, we, there are plenty of benevolent organizations that have nothing to do with church or religion. Uh, you can certainly contribute to those and, and help, um, and, uh, you know, just see, just see what's out there. A lot of times I think the world looks at the church as just a benevolent organization. I remember one time a political leader that I had greatly respected before he made this comment, just pretty much went on the news and said, these churches need to be helping people more. You know, they, they want churches to save the world. Well, saving the world is not saving with, with the checkbook. Saving the world is spiritual. That's what our business, quite uh, quote unquote, is all about. Any other thoughts? All right. Okay. Um, let's go on with our next question. Uh, the teaching that when God looks down on us, he doesn't see our sin. He sees Jesus' blood, a part of continual cleansing doctrine. Yes, that's the, that's their doctrine. Uh, but that's not true to the scriptures. So I'd say, yes, it's the way they look at it is that God only sees the blood and he never sees sin anymore. But the biblical doctrine is that God uh, sees sin too. Uh, so for example, in Acts chapter eight, uh, Simon um, was baptized, therefore had his sins washed away. But was he in a situation where from then on all God would ever see is that the blood of Jesus is covering him. Well, Peter, uh, 
Peter got on to him because he was trying to buy the gift of God. And he uh, told him, your heart is not right with God. So therefore, God sees your heart is not right with God. So he doesn't look down and all he sees is the blood. You're covered no matter what you do from here on out. Uh, no, uh, you're covered for the sins you committed and had removed. But you commit new sins, you got new sins and you got to deal with them. So first, uh, uh, so Peter goes on to tell him you need to repent and pray God that that perhaps the thought of your heart may be forgiven you, meaning that you're not already covered now with the blood anymore. You've, you've committed new sins and therefore you got to deal with new sins. Now the blood is available, but you've got to repent and pray that perhaps the thoughts of your heart may be forgiven you. And then you got first John chapter one. And he says, now we can't say we have no sin. And I would add, uh, by implication, you can't say the blood of Jesus is automatically covering me now. No, you can't say that either. So he says, but if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us. When? If you confess your sins. So that's 1 John 1, verse 7 through 9. And that shows us then that uh, when God looks down on us, if we're committing sin, he sees the sin. And he expects us to do something. To, if you get dirty, uh, if you, I remember when I came into the house as a as a young one, that I'd be, I'd have, I'd been walling around in the grass and in the dirt and in all, and I have a ring of dirt around my neck. I know my mother loved me, but uh, she didn't just see a a perfectly clean young boy. She saw a dirty boy <laughs> and a dirty boy needs to be cleaned up. So when I took a bath, she saw a clean one again. All right. So that's the way God's grace and his and his mercy works in our behalf is you got the cleansing agent, the blood of Christ available, but it's not automatically applied and it's not it, it doesn't stay there. Uh, even as we sin. No, the Simon's case in Acts 8 shows, no, you've got to repent and, and pray that perhaps the thoughts of your heart may be forgiving you because they're not automatically forgiving. You. And 1 John 1, uh, you confess our sins and he's faithful and just to forgive us. But what if you don't confess your sin? Well, then what he sees is sin. He doesn't just look down and see the blood of Christ all the time. So those are my thoughts on that. You know, the idea that God does not see our sin once we become Christians is just once saved, always saved or uh, perseverance of the saints. If, if once you're saved, you're always saved, regardless of the sins you commit, uh, then you basically have a license to sin. And so salvation is just a matter of obtaining your sin license so that now you've got license to sin and you don't have to worry about your sins because God doesn't see your sins anymore. He now sees the blood of Christ. And so I appreciate Terry's comments. G yes, God does see the blood of Christ when we meet whatever conditions he has laid down. When the alien center meets the conditions, 
of believing in God and Jesus Christ, repenting of his sins, confessing his faith, and being baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the mission of sins. God sees the blood and and forgives the sin. Uh, when we sin after that, and uh, we repent and confess our sin and ask God and the brethren to forgive us of our sins, God no longer sees the sin, but he sees the blood. But between the time that we sin and the time that we do whatever is necessary to get the benefits of his blood, then God does see our sin. Simon Peter certainly saw the sin of, uh, of Simon, the former sorcerer. And if Simon could see it, God could see it. And so, and even Peter, he saw the sin of Peter, the hypocrisy that Peter showed in Antioch. And if Paul could see Peter's hypocrisy, then God, then God could see Peter's hypocrisy. And, and Paul rightly called Peter on the carpet for it. And uh, he was leading people astray. He, he was a bad example and led Barnabas astray by his example. And so uh, we need to do a regular uh, self-examination in the light of Scripture and, and make sure that we take care of uh, our sins as, as soon as we realize that we are in sin. And when we do that, God once again sees the blood rather than our sin. Along with that, Chris, I mean, some of the saucers are a good example. When Paul rebukes Peter is a good example. When Jesus examines the seven churches of Asia, I mean, you have the same thing there. Um, uh, he calls them out for where they're, what, where they're not doing right, like the Ephesians who had left their first love, and he tells them repent or else. So he did not just say, you know, like, hey, okay, you're sinning, but I don't see that because my blood covers you. Also, book of Hebrews, Chris, I think Hebrews chapter 10, about verse 26. If we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, it doesn't say, don't worry, the blood of Jesus just kind of takes care of that. Rather, it says there is no sacrifice for sin. So good observations, gentlemen. All right. Any other thoughts on that? Well, um, Chris, let me just throw a comment out a different direction for a second right. and say um, the statement in general really doesn't give me a lot of consternation necessarily. And I think a lot of times when we see a statement like this, we're kind of thinking, what does he really mean? You know, and and for a lot of us, you know, for the questioner, the questioner reads into that something about uh, the concepts of perpetual cleansing. Um, I might not necessarily have seen that if uh, the questioner hadn't put that up. If somebody says, hey, when God looks... Uh, he sees the blood of Christ. I, I don't mind the idea of saying that when God looks upon us, that he might see some image of Christ. We've put on Christ. When we were baptized, the Bible says we've clothed ourselves in Christ. We put on Christ. We maintain that robe, that garment by uh, obedience and abiding in Christ. Um, so it wouldn't really necessarily have triggered uh, a concern for me. So if somebody says to me, hey, you know, it's kind of great that when God looks at us, he's seeing not our sin, he's seeing Christ. Um, I'd say, yeah, that is kind of great. I, I might not disagree with that. And, and if and and I'll tell you what, I'll even throw this one and say, even if they went so far as to say, and then there's that perpetual cleansing, I'd say, well, what do you mean by that? You know, I, uh, I might want to have them clarify what they're thinking that means 
um, before I jump too far and say, oh, you're really you're really going into a place that's not healthy or not spiritually safe. Um, so just to kind of say, I might not have seen, except for the questioners, point to it. Uh, I wouldn't necessarily say that if somebody makes these comments to me, I see them on a dangerous road. Um, it could just be a perspective or a way that they're expressing an idea. Okay. All right. Any other thoughts then? <clears throat> All right. Um, we are about out of time in our program, and we've been given some uh, pretty uh, good questions. They are a little more involved. Uh, we'll put this one on the screen, even though I think we might pick up our study next week with it. If Christians are not to observe Christmas since it's not commanded in the Bible, what do you say to Christians who are quasi-observing it by doing acts relative to that season, such as singing songs related to the birth of Christ, having Christmas trees, getting somebody merry, uh, greeting somebody Merry Christmas, etc.? Uh, we are certainly nearing that time. Uh, we need to consider our actions as Christians. Uh, so I think we might need a little extra time next week uh, to, to kind of discuss that. But what do you guys think? All right. All right. So we are going to table that until next week. We have some uh, questions about the Holy Spirit coming up. And I'll be covering some of those in our Tuesday program over the next week or so. So uh, please keep in mind. So whatever questions are out there, just uh, hang on. We are still, uh, we have questions about the King James Version of the Bible. We have uh, questions about contacting the blood of Jesus through baptism. So uh, look forward to that in our future studies. But that's all we have time for today, guys. It's been good being with you. Uh, appreciate the uh, the good answers to the questions uh, that have been given today. It's uh, always like to point out we've had a, uh, some people joining us today, and we really appreciate everyone's uh, comments and uh, the things that they have uh, shared with us today. And, of course, just the greetings. Let us know you're out there. Uh, glad that uh, you're watching in answer to some of the questions I posed earlier. Yes, we have people from the UK. Uh, we have brethren from India and uh, various other places within the United States as well. And uh, thank you for watching the program today. All right. So that's all we have time for then. I uh, just want to remind you once again of various things going on uh, on Answering Religious Error. Of course, we always like to remind you that you can send questions to this program to questions at answeringreligiouserror.com. We've tried to take note of the live questions that have been asked today and add those to our lineup. So we'll try to get to those first next week. Uh, if you have a meme, uh, send it to us, questions at answeringreligiouserror.com. And remember that on Tuesdays, we are going through a series of studies on the Holy Spirit for the next couple of weeks uh, as I cover some of the material that's been you know, raised on, you know, on some of our discussions of Facebook and in some of our discussions right here on the live Bible Q&A. So we'll answer those questions as well. Uh, but we are giving individual lessons through the rest of the month of December, preparing ourselves for a good study of Ephesians. And uh, that begins January 2024, every Tuesday at noon Eastern time. Remember also that you can listen to the Daily Answer podcast beginning as early as 5 a.m. every Monday through Friday. We're going to be up to about episode 333 tomorrow. So uh, join Mark Dunnigan for a few moments of encouragement there. Start your week off. Uh, well, start your week off Sunday worshiping God. And uh, if we can help you find a congregation in your area, please let us know. Uh, but Bob has a program on Monday nights called Bob's Bible Basics as he begins a new series next week talking about the Messianic prophecies that we see in the Old Testament. Then on Thursdays, there's the Older Women Likewise program, a show for women, by women. You'll be encouraged by their teaching on faith. And then join us right back here 
every Wednesday at noon Eastern time for the live Bible Q&A. Again, we want to thank everybody for joining us today, and we'll see you next time on Answering Religious Error.